So I'm getting myself sorted out here. Won't you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13? Um, Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to be reading from verse 24. Matthew 13, reading from verse 24 to 30, and then we're going to jump on to Jesus' explanation of this next parable in verses 36 to, to 43. Uh, it's the parable of the weeds. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his, in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then jump down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered them, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil." The harvest is close. Is, sorry, the harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Well, this is uh, God's word to us this morning, and uh, Grant has already prayed, and we've just sung that the Lord would be pleased to speak to us through it today. So I want to start this morning by asking you to put on your thinking caps uh, and to join me in a quick exercise um, I want you to think about what we should be doing differently here at Honeyridge in order to make our church grow. Surely we all want to see uh, this building full to capacity, at least once that's allowed in, the, in hopefully the months to come, uh, that this building is full to capacity with people who are coming to salvation each week and then people who are joining us as we worship God together. And actually, there's so much spiritual need around us in Johannesburg. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our vision to plant churches around Johannesburg, wouldn't it be wonderful if that could be fast-tracked and that many new churches could be established over the next 10 years and each of them could be filled with new converts and each of them could in turn plant new churches? So the question is, what do we need to do to make that happen? What do you think is necessary to draw into our church the unbelieving neighbors in our community? 
So think about it like this. If you were part of a strategic planning team at Honey Ridge Baptist, and if you were given a, a clean sheet of paper to strategize about what we need to do uh, to take this church forward, to make it grow, what suggestions would you bring to the table? What seems to be working best out there? What are other churches doing? If you think about some of those churches we see on television or on, on YouTube, which fill their buildings with five or 10,000 people each week, surely we should want to learn from them and, and copy the things that seem to be working. Well, this introduces us to really one of the, the hottest topics uh, in the world of Christianity in the last 10 or 15 years, uh, this topic of church growth. There are probably few other topics over which more ink has been spilled, perhaps in the last 30 years or so, than this topic of church growth. So much so that, that what we have today has become known as the church growth movement. And there are thousands of opinions and authors and books and seminars and training courses and guaranteed money-back programs which are on offer to churches today to help us to grow. I looked this up on Wikipedia, which I only quote because it's kind of generally accepted as, as at least a reflection of popular consensus. Um, but Wikipedia says that church growth is a movement within evangelical Christianity which aims to develop methods to grow churches. Methods to grow churches. Various church leaders have proposed different ways to grow churches. One prominent example is the seeker-sensitive approach, which aims to make church more accessible and sensitive to the needs of so-called spiritual seekers. The seeker-sensitive label is associated with various mega-churches in the United States, where the Christian message is often imparted by means of elaborative Elaborate creative elements. Okay, now you can attach to that whatever you want. Elaborate creative elements emphasizing secular popular culture, for example, popular music styles. Such churches also develop a wide range of activities to draw in families at different stages in their lives. For example, the attractive church model, uh, which was set forth by Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Church proposes that things such as daycare, sports programs, contemporary music and worship, and classes of various hobbies and other such things are created which attract people from the community into the church. But then they go on to say that Willow Creek Community Church, a very large uh, seeker-sensitive church in the States, recently conducted a major survey that shows that heavy involvement in the seeker-sensitive programs and activities certainly did contribute to church growth, but it did not necessarily translate into spiritual growth and maturity of disciples. So we're going to be starting a new section in the parables of Jesus today, which focuses us for the next four or five weeks on the growing of the kingdom of God. Who or what is responsible for the growing of the church? Not growing numerically that doesn't result in, in unchanged lives, in weak disciples, but the true growth of the church, both in terms of number and maturity. Does Jesus have anything to say to us about our attitude to church growth and the principles or the methods that we should then seek to employ 
uh, to grow the church, to see the kingdom of God growing. And so we're not going to find all the answers this morning, but, but let's start as we turn our attention to this parable of the wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares, depending on your um, translation, or as I've entitled it this morning, the wheat and the counterfeit. Uh, now, this is, is one of the few parables where Jesus tells the story, and then immediately, in private with his disciples, he goes on to give them a very clear explanation of what it all means and the spiritual reality that he is trying to convey. And, and so we will see this morning that Jesus deals with two major themes in this parable. The first section of points is all got to do with kingdom growth, and then the last two points has got to do with the kingdom harvest. And so let's start with uh, the kingdom growth this morning. And the first thing that Jesus tells us is that the kingdom growth is gradual. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this point this morning because that will be the focus of the next two uh, messages in the weeks to come, the parable of the seed growing and the parable of the mustard seed. So we're going to deal a bit more with that next time. But just to introduce the topic today, we see that the people of Jesus' day were, were expecting the kingdom of God to come very suddenly. When the Messiah would come, he would come in a physical way with a mighty military display of power, and he would overthrow the, the Roman Empire, and there would be a time of great prosperity and peace for the nation of Israel. That's what they had as their expectation. But Jesus has already explained a number of times to us so far in our series that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a physical, national kingdom. And in the parables to come, and he starts here, he explains that the, the growth of this spiritual kingdom is a much more slow and gradual approach. It's something organic, which grows uh, like a, a small seed into a plant, um, and in this case, we see a small seed that grows into a wheat plant, which bears the fruit of grain. Jesus explains, uh, look down at verse 37, that the Son of Man, Jesus himself, is the one who sows the good seed in his land. And the wheat plants, which then grow to bear fruit, are the Christians, true believers. Jesus calls them sons of the kingdom in verse 38. And so we are immediately given an explanation of who the sower is, who the plants represent. Uh, there's this good seed. It grows over time into a healthy plant. It's a plant which bears much fruit. So this, the seed that the good, that the, that the master or the good, um, the, the sower sows is, is then the seed which grows into, uh, fruit-bearing plants, wheat, um, and it grows gradually. You can't accelerate the growth of plants. But in the second place, we see from this parable something else regarding this slow, gradual uh, growth or process of growth in the kingdom, namely that kingdom growth is also opposed. Now, we're going to spend more time on, on this point this morning. Uh, here, Jesus explains something new to his disciples, something which was previously hidden from their thinking and their understanding, but now which has been revealed. It's been laid alongside um, this telling of the parable. And in the parable, Jesus tells us that just as the man sowed good seed into his field, an enemy came and sowed maliciously sowed weeds among the wheat. 
Now, the people of Jesus' day certainly understood about opposition to the kingdom because, after all, the people of Israel had constantly been opposed uh, by their enemies of old. We, we looked last year uh, in the book of 1 Samuel. Think back to the Philistines and the Amalekites who would attack, regularly attack the Israelites. Then they were later on conquered by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians. And then most recently they were colonized by the Greeks and then the Romans. And so they saw opposition to the kingdom of God primarily in terms of this military opposition uh, to them as a nation, this oppression and national colonization. But Jesus here comes and reveals something new to them. That the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. We've seen that over the last few weeks. But it is a kingdom which is opposed in a spiritual way. Its opposition is in the spiritual realm. He says in verse 38 and 39 that the opposition to the kingdom of God comes in the form of evil people. He calls them children of the evil one who are placed in this world strategically and maliciously by the great enemy of God, which is the devil. Now, any farmer will tell you, even today with our modern scientific uh, knowledge of herbicides and, and sophisticated combine harvesters, if you have large amounts of weeds sown among your wheat crop, you have a massive problem. And so the, the weeds here in this parable are not just a few stray weeds that were sown by the wind, but these are specifically, strategically planted weeds, planted by the devil among the good plants in order to cause disruption and destruction of the crop. This is strategic, spiritual opposition. We know that weeds function by tangling their roots around the roots of the good plants. Their, their roots intertwine, not only to, to rob the good plant of its nutrients, but eventually to, to choke all the life out of the good plant, to choke it to death. And that's exactly what the devil plans for us as Christians. He places people in our lives, it's a wonderful metaphor, who will entangle themselves into our lives in order to either choke the spiritual life out of us or at least to stifle our spiritual growth so that we do not produce fruit. And what makes the, the tactics of the devil so dangerous is that most of these spiritual weeds are such nice people. They're such nice people. Moral people, good people that we would say from a, a general perspective are just such nice people to be friends with. But they are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are weeds. And so don't be fooled. Jesus makes it very clear in this parable that the one who sowed the weeds among the wheat, look at verse 27, is the enemy. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. Verse 28. And so we see then that Jesus here begins to lift the veil on the reality of spiritual warfare. Now there's a, a lot of hype around this subject of spiritual warfare today. And, and some of it is perhaps good and necessary because I think many Christians, many Christians go through life almost 
oblivious or, or ignorant of the spiritual realities of evil, which certainly do exist. And that's a, a very real uh, danger if we're in that space, that we don't even think about spiritual attacks and, and the evil one's attempts to undermine the church of Jesus Christ. But I think a lot of hype around spiritual warfare today is, is really missing the point. If you go and browse some of the bookshop, uh, the, the books at, at some of our bookshops in the mall on this topic of spiritual warfare, you will see that most of it is, is being caught up with casting out the so-called demon of poverty or the demon of obesity or the demon of pornography or addiction or whatever it is in order to make your life better. But what Jesus gives us here is a right and a necessary perspective on this topic. He says to us that while the kingdom is growing, its growth is being opposed by the enemy of God, which is the devil, as he strategically places people who do not love God, who do not follow the ways of God, he places them in the midst of the lives of Christians in order to disrupt and choke the growth out of the church. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, says Paul, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Therefore, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That's Ephesians 6 verse 12 and 13. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, Paul says, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. This is not a, a physical battle that we are fighting as Christians. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, spiritual strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So this is the hidden spiritual reality which Jesus is revealing to us today. And we would do well to take notice of this. To see the reality, the devil's activities in this world through those who are his sons, his daughters, his servants, as he plants weeds to oppose the growth of the good plants in the kingdom of God. And so that then leads us on in the third place to see that kingdom growth is mixed. Now, this is very interesting and, and possibly quite disturbing this morning. And, and if you are disturbed by this, uh, you're not alone. To think that the kingdom of God, and we primarily think of the kingdom of God in the context of the local church, it's made up, at least for now, of a mixture of wheat and weeds. We expect there to be a mixture out there, uh, but we don't expect this mixture to be in the midst of God's people. And it's disturbing because we are told that the weeds are the sons of the enemy. And their purpose is to oppose us and to disrupt and to destroy the work of God in the lives of his people. We see that the servants of the master are disturbed by this. They say to the master, must we, must we go and eradicate these weeds? Must we go and wage war on the weeds? Must we exorcise any weed-looking plant? And Jesus says, no. Leave them alone. Let them coexist with the wheat for a season. Now, why on earth would the good sower say that? Why does he leave the weeds amongst the wheat? Well, we see his answer in verse 29. But he said, no, 
lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so we see here that the good master, which is none other than King Jesus himself, the the head of the church, he's the one who says that those weeds must not be eradicated, not yet at least. Why? Well, he says it's for the benefit of the wheat. Did you see that? Jesus is saying that he's allowing some of these sinful people to coexist in our lives as Christians, to remain even in the midst of the church for our good. Now, what good could possibly come from the opposition of the enemy in our midst? Surely it would be much better if we just got rid of all those who opposed the gospel. Well, we only need to look back at church history to see that whenever the church has tried to forcefully remove those who are unbelievers from society or to try by military or political power to force people to become Christians, that huge atrocities are committed. And the true state of the church actually is worse than it was before. Now, in contrast to this, what we see is that whenever the true plants of God are threatened, are opposed, are persecuted in this life, that the church actually experiences a growth of a a season of amazing growth and strengthening. See, we must remember that it is God who allows these evil plants to stay in the field. And so he has a purpose in using, yes, the, the evil, the sinful intentions of those people to achieve the good that he desires, that he purposes in each of us as his church. And so this should be a great encouragement to us today, especially for those of you who are facing persecution or opposition, perhaps in your family, perhaps at school or university, perhaps in the workplace. See, it's quite easy to become spiritually complacent in the context of a church like Honey Ridge, to take for granted all that we've been given in Christ when things are going smoothly. And there's nothing quite like opposition or persecution for the sake of Christ to drive us out of that complacency back to Christ, to focus our attention back on the sower, to grow us in spiritual steadfastness and fruitfulness amidst the weeds in our life. Paul reminds us of what Jesus said to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And I mean, most of those things, they would have come at Paul from the weeds in his life. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong in the persecution, in the opposition, in all of those insults and hardships, that is when I look to Christ for his strength and I grow. And I grow more than I would have ever grown in a season of calm without that persecution. And so this gives us a real biblical perspective on opposition, on persecution. That difficult person at work who makes your life miserable. Or that person in your family who's always opposing you, always trying to break you down. That person in your social group who is always gossiping and and spreading rumors about you. 
Jesus is saying there is actually a sinister motive behind all of that. They would not probably even acknowledge it themselves, but it is one which is nevertheless there. The devil is purposing that those unbelievers are to be weeds in your life. And the answer to, problem, uh, to the problem, says Jesus, is not to just wish them away uh, or to forcefully eradicate them, but it's to realize that God has brought them into your life, allowed them into your life for your good, for your benefit. That God is doing things in you through those difficult people, through those weeds, to achieve an even greater purpose in you that you would have been able to accomplish on your own. And let's not even get to the point today, but it's there, that God may even still be using you to turn, by His grace, that weed into a wheat plant as you share the gospel with them. But that's not really the focus of this parable. So then... If we spend time looking at those oppositions in our lives, looking at all those people that God has placed or allowed to remain in our lives to cause us difficulty, we should be more focused on asking God, Lord, what are you trying to do in my heart through this person than praying to God that that person would just go away? What aspects of my character is God trying to transform? Perhaps it's, it's your patience or your temper or your self-reliance, or your pride, or your self-confidence, or your unforgiveness, or your spirit of bitterness, or your heart of vengeance. God is wanting to expose those things, to bring them to the surface, so that you may confess your sin before Him, have it exposed and dealt with by the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've quoted this before from Paul Tripp in his book on marriage. Uh, it's called, What Did You Expect? He says that most of us live as human beings according to a personal happiness paradigm, where we seek our own happiness as the highest purpose in life, and we will do whatever we can to achieve that purpose. But God says that he has us as Christians on a personal holiness paradigm, where everything he is doing in our lives is in order to make us more and more holy. And he is willing, and he has the hard part, to temporarily suspend things in our lives which bring us happiness in order to achieve our holiness. Is there anything wrong with job satisfaction in the workplace? Absolutely not. But God may need to bring some unhappiness into your workplace in order to produce a holiness in you that otherwise would not have been accomplished. And so Paul Tripp says, making us holy is God's unwavering agenda until we are taken home to be with Him. He will do whatever He needs to produce holiness in us. He wants us to be a community of joy, yes, but He's willing to compromise our temporal happiness in order to increase our Christ-likeness. Here's the theology. God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could never achieve on your own, I call it the theology of uncomfortable grace. And this is what we have here in the parable of the wheat and the weeds. It's this theology of uncomfortable grace. And so before we move on to the, the final points this morning about the harvest, I think it's, it's important for us to see here something that we might skip over otherwise. The weeds in this parable are not simply those difficult, evil people out there in the world who are on a mission to make your life difficult. That certainly is one aspect of these weeds. 
But what this parable tells us is that the weeds in our lives are also much more subtle, much more deceptive, much closer to home. I want you to see that for a long time in the lives of these plants, the wheat and the weeds seemed indistinguishable. And the word here used to describe these weeds is a plant called Darnell, a Darnell plant which looks almost identical to wheat while it's young and immature, but when it matures, its grain becomes dark and it's actually poisonous. So as the wheat and the weeds, as young plants grow side by side, the two plants are almost indistinguishable until it comes time to bearing fruit. When the grain is ripe, the wheat turns golden, and it's clear that it's wheat, and the darnel turns dark, which reveals it to be counterfeit. And so this warns us that there will be those in the context of the kingdom of God, in your life, not just out there in the world, in the midst of the wheat, who will appear initially to be wheat, but who in reality are weeds. And how do you know the difference? The only way you will know the difference is by their fruit. In the end, it becomes evident whether the fruit is wholesome and good, that brings life, or is the fruit toxic and brings death. We should not be surprised by this reality, that the kingdom of God is mixed. Jesus warned in Matthew 7, speaking about false prophets, beware of the false prophets who come to you. How? In sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They look just like sheep, but their hearts are, are ravenous wolves. And what does Jesus say? Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? It's by their fruits that you will recognize them. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. You will recognize them by their fruits. And Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 11, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, coming right into the midst of the church. And he says, and don't be surprised, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It should not surprise us, says Paul, if his servants also then disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So the kingdom growth is gradual, it's opposed, and it's mixed. And at least in this life, between those who are genuine wheat plants and, and those who bring forth this harvest of, of wholesome grain, there are going to be those who are counterfeit, those who pretend, those who kind of just go with the Christian flow. They are disguised, says Paul, as servants of righteousness. But their true heart allegiance is to Satan the one who seeks to bring hurt and harm to the church of God. Now that might really concern you today. How do we know who those weeds are in our midst and, and how should we know how to be not led astray or choked by them? Well, in order to just bring some comfort, the, the parable moves on and Jesus ends by speaking about the kingdom harvest. He's told us three things about the kingdom growth, but now he moves on to the kingdom harvest, and he says, the kingdom harvest is coming. The good news is that this situation of the wheat and the weeds living together, being opposed by the weeds, this situation will not continue forever. This situation of opposition and seduction and deception, it will not last forever. 
the opposition we face, even in the church, where sometimes, and some of you might know that personally, some of the worst and most painful suffering and persecution and deception and disappointment has been dished out to you in the context of the local church by those who prove to be Darnell plants, counterfeit. The good news is that this situation is being used by God for our good, to strengthen us, to grow us in our dependence upon Him, and it will not last forever because the day of the harvest is coming. Jesus says in verse 30, Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat into my barn. And then look down at verse 39. What is the harvest? The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. So the good news for us as Christians is that the kingdom harvest is coming when Jesus Christ will return from heaven with his angels. He will judge the whole world. And we are told in no uncertain terms for the unbeliever, this will be a judgment of fire. So we are reminded here that God is not caught off guard by the sin in the world. He's not surprised that there are people in in your life and mine who are trying to break us down as Christians, trying to infiltrate the church and oppose what we are doing, seducing us. He's not wondering what to do about all of these people in your life. No, what we see in this passage is that Jesus is firmly in control. He's reigning over all the affairs of man, over governments, over individuals, over churches. And he is moving all of history towards that moment when the great harvest will come, that great day of judgment. And the first to be judged will be all those who have rejected God, rejected the gospel, rejected his salvation, rejected his lordship over our lives. All of those will be bound up and will be cast into the fires of hell. And then he will gather to himself all of those who have trusted in Christ for salvation. And look at verse 43. He tells us, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Isn't that wonderful? So the kingdom harvest is coming. And perhaps there are some here today, maybe there are some listening in online, who are openly weeds. But more likely, there are some of you here today who are counterfeit weeds, undercover weeds, You may think that you're getting away with it. No one knows. And even if people do know, you don't care because you've believed the lie of your father, the devil. I want to plead with you today to listen to the warning of Jesus Christ. It's not my place to judge or condemn you today. Without Christ, you are judged and condemned already. No, this is a warning of Jesus to call you to repent The harvest is coming, you cannot avoid it, and even though you may have fooled many people for most of your lives, even in the context of the church, of your spiritual condition, the harvest day will expose what you really are, and then it will be too late. The Bible tells us that this harvest day will come in the twinkling of an eye, unexpected like a thief in the night, and yet loud and unavoidable like the blast of a loud trumpet. The harvest is coming. The question is, what fruit will the angels find on your plant? Because that will determine your eternal destiny. 
So in the final place, and with this I'll close, we see then that the kingdom harvest is final. And let's just read again those very serious words of Jesus in verse 40 onwards. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. There is a, an ominous finality to the words of Jesus here. The meaning of this parable is not open to interpretation. You can't go home and say, well, I disagreed with Clinton's interpretation of the parable today because Jesus himself has told us exactly what it means. The harvest is the end of this age, and it ushers in the beginning of all eternity. It's the beginning of forever. And the consequences of our choices in this life as to who we belong to, who we've served, who is our Lord and our Master, that will usher in an eternity of either heaven or hell. For the weed or for the counterfeit Christian, your destiny will be an eternity that's what Jesus is saying of conscious, physical, and spiritual torment. Jesus calls it a fiery furnace, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's final. There's, there's no second chance when the harvest comes. And so today is the time to respond. Now is the time to repent. And we know that God is both willing and able to respond to the repentance of your heart with grace and forgiveness. That's the good news of the gospel. And with that forgiveness that he gives to you, he gives you a new heart. He takes out your toxic heart of Darnell, poison, uh, stone, and he gives you a heart of flesh, uh, the wheat, a life-giving heart, a heart that uh, he indwells by his Holy Spirit, a heart which is able to bear much fruit for the kingdom. And so just as the, the harvest is final and eternal for the weed, in hell, so we see this glorious truth of the harvest is final and eternal for the good plant, for the wheat. Once God has removed, look at verse 41, all that is sinful, all that is evil. He says, all causes of sin. So that certainly includes the devil himself and, and all his demons. They too will be thrown into hell. Then he says, the sons of God, the righteous children of God, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. What a wonderful promise of joy, of encouragement, of security, and hope for us who are wheat plants today. The harvest is coming. Jesus is on his way. He has not abandoned you. No matter how surrounded you may feel by the weeds in your life at the moment, Jesus has not abandoned you. He is coming and with his return, you, if you're still alive, you'll meet him in the air. Or if we've died, we will be resurrected with glorified bodies. And we will spend eternity shining like the sun in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We'll enjoy all eternity in his presence. The presence of our heavenly Father and King. So as we end today, look at verse 43. We end where Jesus does. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, the Greek scholars tell us that a much more accurate translation of that phrase would be, he who has ears to hear, you'd better listen. That's what Jesus is saying, you'd better listen. 
This may be your last chance today. Today is the day of salvation. Repent of your sin. Turn to Jesus Christ. Find forgiveness and salvation and this eternal life in him. And if you don't know how to do that today, if you're here today and you realize that you are a a counterfeit wheat plant, you're a weed and, and your heart's being exposed today, do not leave today without making right with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't know how to do that Please don't leave here today without speaking to me or speaking to one of the elders or, in actual fact, speak to any true wheat plant that is here today. They will be glad and happy to share the good news and the way of salvation with you today. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the ministry of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you sent him into the world in order to not judge the world, but to save the world. And so as much as Jesus is profoundly clear here today about the harvest day and the eternal destiny of the weeds, that they will spend all eternity in hell, we thank you that Jesus' purpose was to make a way of salvation possible. Not just possible, but to accomplish salvation for those who would trust in him. And so we... We pray, Lord, that today, as your word has been read and proclaimed, that every single one of us who is already a wheat plant would recognize your purposes in our lives through those who may be making our lives very difficult. May we look to you for daily strength and and hope and security. May you be at work in us accomplishing this paradigm or this agenda of holiness in our hearts. Lord, for those here today who do not know you, who've had their hearts exposed, we pray that your Holy Spirit would not let go of them, that the conviction of sin would only grow until they come and they run to Jesus Christ and and have those Darnell kernels removed and have this heart of flesh put in them where you dwell by your Spirit. We pray, Lord God, that as your people we would find great hope in looking forward to that judgment day when we will stand clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And will shine in that righteousness for all eternity. Uh, May that give us the perseverance we need each day to stand firm until you come. Even so we pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.